0: Amen. Well, listen, let me start off this morning by wishing you a, a happy Father's Day to all of our dads, stepdads, and father figures. Now, I know that like, uh, that like Mother's Day, this, this day can be filled with mixed emotions, depending on your personal status with dad. But our goal today is to honor fathers. Amen. I hope that you'll join us in that. So uh, years ago now, one little boy was asked to explain Father's Day, and he basically said, it's just like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much on a present. (laughs) That's a joke, of course. Listen, don't take it personally. Dad's going to be all right. You're going to get your steak. You're going to get your gift, whatever that may be. But Father's Day never seems to be as big a deal as Mother's Day, and most dads I know are usually okay with that. We're okay with mom receiving honor. We're okay with mom receiving all that she does. And see, on Mother's Day, there's usually a higher attendance in church and mothers are often showered with flowers and emotions run really high and and people gather at mom's house all to pay honor to the hands that rock the cradle, right? But on Father's Day, the church is not usually as full. Emotions do not run as high and businesses don't profit nearly as much as they do on Mother's Day. And listen, I'm not sure if this is still true, but years ago, telephone companies were the only exception. You see, phone companies used to report that Mother's Day was the busiest day of the year, but Father's Day was an even bigger money maker for them because they were there were more collect phone calls on Father's Day than on any other day of the year. Listen, as you as you may or may not know, the very first national celebration of Father's Day occurred on June nineteenth, nineteen twenty four. By proclamation of President Calvin Coolidge, Uh, but it all came about because of the efforts of a lady called Sonora Smart Dodd. And see, Sonora was sitting in a church just like this one in 1909, listening to a Mother's Day sermon when the idea of Father's Day first came to her mind. And so having been raised by a faithful father after her mother's death, Sonora wanted her father to know how special he was to her for all of the parental sacrifices that he had made, you know, for being in her eyes courageous and selfless and loving. And to make a long story short, 25 years later, through her efforts, Calvin, President Calvin Coolidge designated the third Sunday of June As Father's Day and our nation has been celebrating it ever since. Listen, I happen to be very glad that there's a Father's Day and and not just because I'm a dad myself. I became a dad over 21 years ago and I'm proud and and love and I bask in my children. But uh, I mean, even though it may not seem as significant or as special as Mother's Day, it still gives us a chance to honor those who do their best to stand at the helm, to lead, right? Who who gather their team in a huddle and who lead their families through all of life's battles. And so this Father's Day, I wanted to take a a thoughtful look at the life of Joseph in the Bible. Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus, to see what lessons we could learn from his life. And well, listen, the cast of characters associated with the, the story of Jesus' birth is both colorful and memorable, we often recognize them by their unique speaking parts, almost like we were watching a play or a movie. And so with dramatic words, the angels take center stage, right, to, to announce the birth of the Savior. And, and they appear to Joseph to announce that the name of the child would be what? Jesus. And next the angel Gabriel makes the unforgettable announcement to Mary and an angelic choir erupts and interrupts the shepherd singing glory to God in the highest and on earth goodwill toward men. Now Mary whose divine selection humbles her offers a beautiful hymn of praise and and thankfulness in in Luke chapter 1 and then the wise men are desperate in their search to find the newborn king and are actually prepared to present him with gifts of honor and worship. And then the shepherds became the early evangelists, right? They were telling everyone what they saw about this newborn Messiah and no one could shut them up. But oddly enough, Joseph is the only one who has no speaking part. He is the lone silent member of the cast. And he's often forgotten. And so angels bring heavenly greetings and Mary sings this praiseful uh, solo. Wise men worship, shepherds preach, but Joseph is silent. Again, there are no, no notable lines attributed to him. No sound bites, no quotes, only silence. However, as people sometimes say, actions speak louder than... See, Joseph is irreplaceable in the story of Jesus. And through his silent actions, Joseph actually, he teaches us three valuable lessons in fatherhood that I want to talk about this morning. I want to unpack those. And so the first lesson, if you're writing notes, the first valuable lesson that we learn from Joseph is righteousness, righteousness or goodness. Listen, if you recall, we are introduced to Joseph right in the middle of a personal crisis. And listen, you can learn a lot about people by how they handle a crisis, can't you? You can learn a lot about someone, about how they go through challenges. See, having become engaged to this lovely and beautiful girl, he's worked really hard to establish an income to support his bride and begin this new family. And now most men can relate to this idea of, of, of the husband being the provider and we see Joseph as a real worker. And so he's, he's in love. He's committed to Mary. and And he believed that she truly, truly loved him. That is until he hears the news that his precious bride is pregnant. Now, listen, men, uh, husbands, I don't want to sour you this morning, make you go into this kind of crazy thought. But imagine if you were Joseph and you heard that news. It kind of changes things. It's like, whoa, Pastor Freddie, don't don't go there. He hears the news of his precious bride being pregnant. And clearly he's not the father. Now heartbroken and betrayed, how should he respond? Should he publicly shame her? Should he turn her over to the authorities to be stoned to death? Because that's what they did. Her explanation of the pregnancy was absolutely unbelievable, even blasphemous. See, if Mary hadn't been stoned on the charge of adultery, she could have easily been stoned on the charge of serious blasphemy. However, Joseph chooses the path of mercy, modeling righteousness for you and I this morning. See, the Bible says in Matthew 19, and Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, say righteous, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away Secretly. And so, way before any divine explanation, Joseph chooses goodness. He chooses kindness and discretion. No malice, no explosion. I mean, certainly he could have had a lot of questions. I know I would have. Like, Mary, how, how could you do this to me? Who have you been messing around with? Or tell me. You can certainly tell me now. Who's the father? But no words are recorded, only tenderness, goodness, and grace. Listen, because of this, Joseph might be the talk of Nazareth. Friends might make snide uh, comments about him, but he would not hurt Mary no matter what he thought she had done to him. So when Joseph could have demanded a bitter sentence, he chose grace and mercy. Listen, the New Living Translation says it like this. Joseph, her fiancé, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. The other translation says righteous man. This translation says good man. And listen, the key to being a good father is to first be a good or a righteous man. Dr. James Dobson used to say this. One of the best things a father can do for his children is to love their mother. Listen, that's what Joseph did. He loved Mary, even though he thought she didn't love him. And listen, there's a story of a father and a son who who went to the circus one day and recalling his childhood with a bit of nostalgia, a man said, once when I was a stranger, my father and I were standing in line to buy tickets for the circus. And finally, there was one family between us and the, and the ticket counter, and this family made a big, huge impression on me. See, there were eight children in that family, all probably under the age of 12, and you could tell that they didn't have a lot of money, and their clothes were not expensive, but they were clean, and, and now the children were well-behaved, all of them standing neatly in line, two by two behind their parents. Holding hands so sweetly, they were excitedly jabbering about the clowns and the elephants and the other acts that they would see that night. One could sense that they had never been to the circus before. It promised to be the highlight of their young lives. And now the father and the mother, they were at the head of the pack, right, standing as proud as can be. And the mother was holding her husband's hand and looking up at how many tickets he wanted. He proudly said, Please let me buy eight tickets for my children and two adult tickets so that I can take my family to the circus. And so the ticket lady quoted the price. And then the man's wife let go of his hand. Her head dropped all of a sudden, and the man's lip began began to quiver. The father leaned in a little closer and asked again, "How, how much did you say? And the lady again quoted the price. You see, the man didn't have that much money. How was he supposed to turn at this point and tell his eight kids that he didn't have enough money to take them to the circus? But seeing what was going on, my dad put his hand in his pocket and he pulled out a $20 bill and dropped it on the ground. Keep in mind, this man said, we weren't wealthy in any sense of the word. And then my father reached down. He picked up the bill. He tapped the man on the shoulder and said, excuse me, sir. I believe this fell out of your pocket. Of course, the man knew what was going on. He wasn't begging for a handout, but certainly he appreciated uh, this in his desperate state, heartbreaking and embarrassing situation that he was in. And so he looked straight into my dad's eyes. He took my dad's hand in both of his. He squeezed tightly onto the $20 bill and with a quivering lip and tears streaming down his cheek, he replied, thank you so much. This means the world to me and my family. My father and I went back to our car and drove quietly back home. See, I didn't go to the circus that night, but we never went without. And fathers, that's the kind of lesson that you and I can learn, a lesson uh, in goodness and righteousness that will stick with our kids forever and ever. And Joseph modeled that for us. The next lesson we can learn from Joseph is a, a lesson on responsibility. Say responsibility. That's a cuss word in our culture right now. Responsibility. See, after making his plans to go quietly and discreetly divorce Mary, God gave Joseph a glimpse of his divine plan through a dream. And, and so in Matthew 1:20 20 and 21, the Bible says that an angel appeared to Joseph in his dream and told him, Joseph... Descendant of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the baby inside of her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you will name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then the Bible goes on to say in verses 24 and 25, when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded. He took Mary as his wife, but he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born, and Joseph rightly named him Jesus. See, Joseph understood clearly what God expected of him and was ready to obey. He would take Mary to be his wife and suffer the cutting remarks of a child conceived prior to their wedding. He would obey God in spite of the fact that this child of divine promise would be born under the cloud of adultery. He even called his adopted son Jesus, just as he was told to. See, Joseph believed God, he obeyed God, he accepted responsibility, the responsibility that God had given him, and how much better would our world be today if fathers did the same thing, to accept responsibility. See, in 1960, 17% of children in the United States were raised without their biological fathers. By 1990, that number had risen to about 36%. Today, more than half of all children born in the U.S. are raised without a father in their home. How could we have become so irresponsible? I mean, I know we live in a culture that celebrates the death of our unborn children but what good excuse do we have to abandon our God-given responsibility and what message are we sending with our irresponsibility? So dads, listen, we can't leave the rearing and the raising of our children to the television. We can't leave the rearing and the raising of our our children to the schools. We can't leave the rearing and the raising of our children to mom alone alone. It's our responsibility to be actively a part of that. Listen, we need to be actively involved, intentional in our children's lives. We need to be men, be real men, who take responsibility for our children, especially in their formative years. Psychologists say that whatever you plan on teaching your children as far as values and morals must be taught within the first five years. After that, it's just reinforcement. Do you know what an awesome responsibility that is? See, family life specialist Del Holbrook and his wife have been lecturing and conducting surveys all across America. And in a survey of hundreds of children, the Holbrooks came up with three things that fathers say the most when responding to their kids. Number one was, I'm too tired. Number two is, we don't have enough money. And number three is, keep quiet. We've got to do better. Bo Jackson, former professional baseball and football player, once said, "Having grown up with virtually with uh, virtually fatherless, I know firsthand how much it means to have uh, to to a child to have a loving, caring, involved dad." He said, "That's why it's so important to me to really be there for my kids. I want to build co- self confidence in them and make them aware that they have choices. And listen, I don't want my kids to just follow in my footsteps. I want them to." make their own steps and so dads we need to learn from joseph's example choose to be righteous with your words and actions take responsibility the calling of the the father demands it and that brings us to the last lesson joseph teaches us a lesson in religion religion now listen i hesitated to use the word religion because it has such a negative connotation for many of us today, and, but for alliteration purposes, to follow the three R's, I worked along with it. So we are asking dads to be righteous, we are asking God to take responsibility, and we are asking God to be serious about their religion. Listen, I certainly don't mean it in a negative way. See, many people, including myself from time to time, have said uh, 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 that Christianity is a relationship, not a religion. How many of you have heard that? I've said it myself. Some of you have said it. It's a relationship, not a religion. But that statement is a little misleading because it sets up a, a, a false dichotomy like they are always opposite or opposing views. Listen, follow with me. So yes, Christianity is all about our relationship with God and his people, but true religion, say true religion, True religion is also about our relationship with God and his people. In fact, that's the essence of, of James 1, 27, where it says pure and genuine or true religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for who? The orphans and the widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. It is using that phrase true religion, genuine religion. And oh, by the way, James who wrote those words was also a son of Joseph, the brother of Jesus. Jesus. What's the point? The point is Joseph was a devoutly religious man. In Jewish Jewish culture, the father was not only the head of the house and the primary breadwinner, he was also the spiritual father of the family. See, after Jesus was born, Joseph took Mary and Jesus to Jerusalem to have him circumcised. And In Luke 2, 39 through 41, the Bible says that when Joseph and Mary had done everything, let me hear you say everything, when they had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth, verse 40, and the child grew and became strong, he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him, Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. How often did they go to, uh, to Passover? Every year. Every year. Listen, Joseph knew that the, the Lord and his teachings... He obeyed everything in the law of Moses to the best of his ability and their annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem demonstrates that Joseph was dedicated to seeking God and leading his family into a deeper relationship with their heavenly father. Austin Sorensen once said, a child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. I want you to let that thought sink in. Seeing God in their father is a child's best way to come to know God as their father. And dads, we, you and I, we have to model righteousness. We have to model responsibility. We have to model true and genuine religion if we want our children to become strong and filled with wisdom and grace. Worship team, come. So dads, Listen. You, more than anyone else in the world, are able to instill faith in your children. And you, more than anyone else in the world, are able to show them what a loving father looks like. And you, more than anyone else in the world, can give your children the ability to trust and depend on their father in heaven. But you can't give them what you don't have. Before your children can see God in you, you have to let God into your heart and into your life every single day. You have to seek Him. God has to be top priority in your life. You have to love God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. When you do, your children will see God. A preacher once asked the preschoolers in his Sunday school to draw a picture of God. He intended to use those pictures as an illustration for his Sunday sermon. Toward the end of the class, the children were so excited to show him their work. And they came up with rainbows and with men with big hands. And finally, the preacher's young daughter showed him her picture was the, a picture of a, a stick figure, a man with a suit and a tie on. And I don't know what God looks like, the little girl said, and so I just drew my daddy instead. What did we learn from the man who never said anything? Even though none of his words were ever recorded in scripture, Joseph's example teaches us some valuable lessons in fatherhood. It teaches us a lesson in righteousness. It teaches us a, a lesson in responsibility. He teaches us lessons a, a lesson in religion. And so, so to all our righteous, responsible, religious dads here today, thank you. Listen, thank you for showing us what it means to be a righteous good man. Thank you for always being there when we needed you. Thank you for loving God and, and, and for making us want to do the same. So at this time, I want to honor our fathers. So I'm going to ask our fathers, our stepdads and father figures, if you would stand up right now, wherever you are, stand. Even if you're watching uh, on the live stream, stand where you are. If you're a father, a stepdad, a father figure, I want you to stand. Stand to your feet, stand proud. Hallelujah, you've got a great calling on your life. I'm not saying we do it all the time, perfect. I'm saying this is the calling we've received. We've got to do better. We've got an example. And listen, God is with us. Can we give a round of applause for these men today? Hallelujah. And better than that, I want to pray for them. Father God, in the name of Jesus, stretch your arms and hands towards these men this morning. Father God, we pray for our fathers. We pray for our dads. We pray for those that are watching on the live stream. God, we honor them. We pray, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus that you would touch their lives, that you would minister to them. Lord, if they're loaded with guilt or feelings of inadequacy this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would change that. I pray, God, that as they begin a new start, that as they begin again with a clean slate that you can give them, I pray, Lord, that they would walk after you, that they would look to you as their Father in Heaven, and that they would wish to to be that role model to their children, and that, Lord, they would recognize that it's never too late. It's never too late. And this Father's Day can be a new beginning where phone calls are made, where relationships are restored. For some of us, you know, it's a little more challenging. We may need to go to a a cemetery gravesite like I I did years ago. Just make things right with Dad. It's never too late. I, I need somebody to hear that this morning. It's never too late. Again, I don't care what they did. I don't care what they said. You can honor them as God wants us to honor our fathers. I pray, Lord, that you would lead us, that you would guide us, that you would bless every dad. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.